Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So let the folks on your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds know that we exist. Or just go wander the streets and tell people about it. Whatever strikes your fancy. Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies, who did the heavy lifting on the editing of this episode. You can learn more about his work at IdealVideoStrategies.com. And if you haven't joined the ADHD Essentials Facebook community, we'd love to have you, and I encourage you to sign up. It's a group where you'll find parenting support for your child with ADHD, or just help in managing your own ADHD challenges. Go to Facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials Community to sign up. And for those of you in Massachusetts and the surrounding area, I've got an event for you. Way back in episode 38, I interviewed Adam Wilson about his sensory-friendly comics and pop culture event called CalmerCon. That's CalmerCon, C-A-L-M-E-R-C-O-N. Well, CalmerCon is back. This year, it's taking place on Saturday, April 27th, at Becker College in Leicester, Mass. It's going to be a great time with artist and vendor tables, door prizes, tutorials on how to create your own stories, cosplayers, a photo booth, even Jedi training, and an action video shoot for the kids to take part in. And of course, I'll be there talking ADHD and executive function. So come for the fun and stick around for the personalized ADHD essentials. The link to get tickets is in the show notes. Or you can go to calmpassion.org, C-A-L-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N.org. This is episode 68. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is the way it's helped me to reconnect with people from my past. Today's episode is an excellent example of that. I recently invited my old principal, Jerry Goyette, to come on the show and talk about ADHD from the administrative side of school. He was nice enough to agree. It was an absolute honor to talk ADHD and education with him. He's just as smart as I remembered. In today's episode, we get an inside look at a principal's approach to leading a school with ADHD in mind. We discuss the intersection of anxiety and standardized testing, the ebb and flow of the stress of the school year for kids with ADHD, the importance of consistency, and the value of trust. All right, let's get rolling. This is my 11th year uh, as a middle school principal in the same middle school, which is a, a rarity in uh, administration, to tell you the God's honest truth. A lot of people don't spend tenure in the same middle school. Um, overall, this is, I did the math, and it was kind of scary. This is my 30th year in education. Wow. Yeah, I have had a pretty broad experience from California, Boston, and now where I currently work. 
Yeah, that is a broad experience if you went from California to Boston. How have you experienced ADHD as an educator in such varied situations? At the start of my career, ADHD wasn't something that was really well-defined. And it was basically working with kids who had some behaviors and you learned strategies to harness their energy, helping them get organized. It wasn't a big topic when I first started teaching. And then as it progressed and uh, I moved around a little bit, ADHD started to be kind of a, a topic under the special ed umbrella. And then it's just been more and more and more kids that we seem to see having difficulty in school under the umbrella of ADHD. And I think for me as a teacher, it was easy to work with kids with ADHD because of my subject matter. I was a science teacher. We learned really great strategies of movement breaks and keeping the kids, you know, the activities chunked and being really systematic in how we presented material with kids. And I felt bad for like the English teachers who would want to read a novel for 47 minutes and just have kids crawling out of their skin. <laughs> so my experience as a teacher, you know, you saw a little bit more and more, but you were able to wrap your head around it and, and really help the kids as far as, you know, just good overall teaching practices. And science is pretty hands-on, so I imagine that helped as well. Science was a great, great subject matter for kids with ADHD because it's so hands-on. If you had a long experiment, there were things that you were doing while you were waiting for things like, okay, we're going to wait one minute and we're going to take the temperature and see what this is doing in that test tube and this is doing in that test tube. And while we're waiting for that minute, you know, work as a group for this minute. And then we'd come back and then the next thing would be, okay, independently, here's your next, next task. And, you know, a lot of that time, kids were able to focus and, and, and shift their thoughts. And, and the kids who couldn't do that, um, you were right there with them trying to help them move along or you'd, you'd systematically pair them with really good kids who could work with them. Yeah, it sounds like some of the strategy is is having a plan, right? Because you have to have a clear plan if you're like, in this experiment, I'm going to have a minute interval between when we put the chemicals together and when we check to see what the temperature is. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I'm going to, we're going to do this thing. So there's that structure component. Right. And then also bringing in sort of exemplar students, like partnering the ADHD kids with kids that maybe are better at staying tuned in or more likely to be paying attention to details and that kind of stuff so that they have someone to model from. Right. And what are you, as a principal, mm -hmm. how are you finding that ADHD and the approach to ADHD or just the way it's presenting in your school, how has that changed in the past 10 years? I think we have gotten better at working with kids with ADHD We've been better educating ourselves through professional development, having workshops, listening to the people who have a really good grasp on ADHD, and being able to, able to put systems in place. I, I think rituals and routines are really important for kids who struggle. They, they need to know that when I come in, I do this, and then I can do this, and then I do this, and so that it's 
always the same plan to get them set up for learning. One of the drums I've been banging recently is that those rituals and routines where we're keeping things fairly uniform in terms of the structure of the day within the classroom. First we do this, then we do that, then we do this other thing. A lot of that is really anxiety management. The kids are able to stay a little more calm because they know what's coming, at least broadly speaking. And I, I know when we spoke prior to this interview, you had mentioned that anxiety has been had an uptick recently. It's really funny when we talk about anxiety and stress and kids with ADHD. It's almost like the higher the stress, they just fall apart. Yep. And you're having to put them back together. Um, and I just feel like um, I'm, I may be talking out of turn, but I think the school that we've created in this country has really created an environment of stress for our kids mm -hmm. because they are constantly being tested and there's high stakes and those things kind of stress kids out. Whereas, you know, in the, in a classroom, in a science classroom, hey, we're doing this lab, there's not really a lot of stress there. So the kids can really relax and really breathe. And so I think it's all in the approach of how we present materials to kids, it's just making kids feel comfortable that, hey, you're going to be okay, we're going to get through this together, and I've got everything planned, so you'll be fine. You know, I think kids need to hear that. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, I think another component to that anxiety as it relates to the larger national school system that we have is the expectations keep changing. They keep getting younger and younger. Yeah. And, you know, this whole idea, and I'm really speaking out of turn now, but this whole idea of putting third graders who are eight years old in front of a computer screen with a mouse to take a high stakes test at one moment in time to capture what they know almost seems like how what who's lost their mind here <laughs> no and i don't know if the educators who are behind this really understand that you know you're dealing with eight-year-olds and eight-year-olds don't think like standardized tests Right. You know, yeah. and we've lost that whole idea of play and imagination and putting things together and pulling things apart. And those things, I think, help ADHD kids because they're really good at that. Yeah. And I'll go, I'll speak way out of turn, except that it's my podcast, so I can't speak out of turn and say that it's, it's not educators that are doing those standardized testings, right? It's testing companies and they're not educators. They're people looking to make money with testing. So that's a major component of it. It's not appropriate because we don't have educators steering that ship. Well, you know, we, we can go down that, that bunny hole, but, um, <laughs> you know, I just think, but ADHD kids sitting them in front of a computer and telling them you have two hours to take this test that has 16 questions is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. What are we doing to these poor kids? I completely agree. Is the testing a major component of the anxiety that you're finding kids experiencing, or are there other things creeping in too? A lot of it comes down from the top, and not I try not to as much as I can, but I think with teachers in the classroom, 
you know, they have a curriculum that they need to get through because it's state mandated and then there's tested on it. Um, the kids are tested on it, which they feel is a reflection of their teaching. And I think there's just this undercurrent level of stress that the teachers have that I think sometimes the kids can read. Okay. That makes sense. And as a principal, what are you doing to sort of help your teachers navigate that stress? So there's many, many ways to skin a cat. When you look at curriculum and you look at the standards, there's many ways to get that curriculum and standards into the kids' hands and work with and manipulate with. And if you do it in a sort of traditional way, you see the level of anxieties go up. When you give kids like project-based learning and that kind of thing, you see the stress go down. We did STEM week in October, a whole week, four hours out of the day. It was a really incredible experience, I think, for our kids. And I got to tell you, the energy that was in our school and the low level of stress in our school was amazing to see. And all of the things that they were doing were really hands-on learning experiences with reflections. And the kids, you know, were really good at that especially our ADHD kids, because it was like all of a sudden we were playing in the playground that they excel in. And is that because there was a lot of hands-on learning or out-of-the-box thinking? What were they grabbing onto? Creative problem solving. It was hands-on learning. And there was no grades (laughs) associated with the week. The only grade you really got was your participation grade like how well you participated in the week. And, and everybody really, the, the subject matter that we did with all of our kids was really um, high interest for the kids. That's awesome. So the two things there, one, one the high interest thing is enormous for ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. ADHD kids have to be interested in what they're doing. They have to be engaged with it and think that it matters or at least that it's something worth engaging in. And then the other component, that lack of grading, right? That's huge too. That means for ADHD kids, they don't have to worry about the judgment that's going to come across at the end of whatever they're doing. They can just worry about whatever it is that they're doing. And that lets them engage in a completely different way. Right. They were just so proud at the end of the, the whole week, they had one particular thing to create that solved these real world problems. Um, And they were just so excited to show you, hey, this is what I came up with. And and it was just the sense of, wow, that was really interesting. And some of the teachers even commented, like, I I never expected so-and-so to excel in this manner. I was like, are you kidding me? Of course this kid's going to (laughs) excel. The same kid who excelled um, in seventh grade in STEM I was working with him in my office, and he's an ADHD kid, and he looked at me point blank in the eye and said, Mr. Goyette, seriously, why do I need to learn about soil? How is this ever going to make sense in my life? (laughs) And I was like, I I can't argue with you, but it's part of the curriculum, and I guess you're going to be tested on it, and you need to know it. I'm really sorry. And that was because he was sent to my office because he was being a behavior issue because in the back of his mind, he's like, this is a waste of my time. And, you know, I think sometimes some kids think like, I think any kid thinks like that sometimes, but it was really funny to see and hear out of his mouth because he was just like, really, this is nothing for me. (laughs) And that kid 
I mean, I have all of two or three data points on that kid, right? One, he excelled in the STEM thing. Mm -hmm. Two, he was in your office. And three, he was willing to say to you, come on, why do I ever want to care about soil? How does this matter? Right. My guess is that that kid is a leader in your school, but he's leading everybody in the wrong direction. Right. And unfortunately, we were learning about soil in a very traditional manner. Had the lesson been presented in a different light of, you know, hey, there are these three different types of soil and you need to find out which one's going to grow the lima bean in best and which one do you think is going to, I mean, kids like to figure things out and, and challenge themselves. But, you know, to just listen to, you know, blah, blah, blah and watch a, you know, a brain pop video and do this worksheet you know, it's hard to invest, yeah. especially when you're just crawling out of your skin and you haven't moved out of your chair for seven minutes. And then on the teacher side, it's hard to make everything that level of a project, right? It's hard because you're not going to teach as much. You're not going to get to all the things you have to teach the kids about because those kinds of projects can take a lot longer than a brain pop video and a worksheet. Right. But the message that has been pretty drummed in my 11 years is, Think creatively, think outside of the box. You don't have to do a worksheet plus a reading plus popcorn reading and highlighting the major points. These are just things that numb kids' brains and especially kids who are just ready to go. No, I agree. Project-based learning is better. Creative instruction, creative lesson plans are always going to be better, especially for kids with ADHD, but really kids in general. Right. The challenge is having the time, one, to come up with those lessons and unit plans and two, to execute them when you've only got 180 days to get to 140 topics. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if you came in and you designed three of those every single year, and in five years you had 15 activities, and that would be, you know, probably half your year. No, and, and, and this is just me singing your praises, right? Because uh, this will, I'm sure I mentioned this in the intro, but you were my principal when I taught, uh, when I wrapped up my career as an educator. And one of the things that I enjoyed most working for you and with you was that you had a very realistic approach to what a teacher can do. And you had a very patient approach to that. And you were like, yeah, make one or two really good units and then the rest of them can be okay. And next year, you'll make one or two more really good units. And then you'll have, you know, up to four really good units. I've always appreciated that um, when, we were, when we were working together. And just to bounce on that, um, it's really interesting when, as a principal, you know, in my world where I work, you know, I've had pretty consistent staff. Mm -hmm. So that message, you, can, you really could pull that off. But for other school districts and other places, you know, the turnaround for teachers is incredible. And I know that there's a lot of districts that it, within the district, there's a lot of mobility, you know, especially at the elementary school level. You know, you teach in fifth grade one year, fourth grade the next year, then you're down to third, then they bounce you back to fifth. And it's really, really hard to build those experiences for kids when you're constantly having to relearn what you need to be teaching right so i my one thing with the you know principles are don't move people around <laughs> as much as you can you know try to stay away from that and it's really hard especially when school districts have to restructure and there's there's lots of times that we have to restructure and you know when i started we we were a team of three 
and we all taught three periods a day in our main area, and we all picked up history. And then all of a sudden, we became from a team of three to a team of five. That's a whole restructuring. Same thing happened in Adderall. We were teams of two, and then one year we walked in, and we're now teams of four. So all of the lessons that we designed that really engaged kids in those other subject matters that we taught that we no longer teach in, those activities were handed off, but you know whether they were executed or not, right? Who knows? Yeah, and that, I mean, I'm I'm a walking example of that restructuring stuff. I got hit by restructuring over and over again when I taught. That's right. part of why I'm not in the classroom anymore. And it's hard. It's it's such a challenge, and it it speaks to even where we started around the structure of the day, right? If the kids know what to expect every day when they come in, then it becomes easier for them to execute as the days go by and they get more comfortable with that structure. If you've got the year structured out because you finally figured out how to do second grade and then they move you up to third or down to kindergarten, all of that structure is gone. Right. And now we've got anxiety with teachers just like we would have anxiety with students. And God forbid that teacher has ADHD because <laughs> that's going to make things even harder. And then the other part is an administration change happens. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden the whole vibe of the school changes and kids don't know what to expect because last year we did things this way. Next year we're doing it this way. Even just simple schedule changes. The consistency, I think, is the number one key for kids, all kids, but especially kids who have ADHD and, and putting things into place. I will say that the one of the biggest assists that we've gotten is through, go figure, Google. Mm -hmm. Google, I think, has been a really big help for um, kids with ADHD, just by the way we use it. Kids especially that have some serious executive function going on, um, it's nice to know that there's a place that I can go and find everything I need to know and do at a click of a mouse. Mm -hmm. So especially like at my school, we use Google's sites and slides. And so that kids can go to one web page and see, okay, what what did we learn today in social studies? Oh, where are the class notes? Oh, there are the class notes. Oh, and there's the worksheet. Okay, I just click on here and there's the worksheet that I need to do or the activity or the exit ticket or, you know, whatever. Everything's kind of there online. And the adults have gotten really used to using it. That was one of the challenges working with adults is that we have new technology that's really helpful to kids and there's early adapters and then there's mm -hmm. people who eventually adapt it and then there are the last people to like drink the cool <laughs> my suspicion is that i had one of your early adapters on probably about a year ago now at this point i had danielle stasa on mm -hmm. a little while ago and she talked about flipping her classroom right as an English teacher and how, how much of a difference that made for her, including how it ad addressed some executive functioning needs in terms of writing for her students because they were writing while they were with her as opposed to writing at home. And that technology side is great as well. She uses Moodle. And I, apparently, you know, Moodle for her is really a game changer because the data that she gets about each kid tells her significant information. How long were they on there? Which question were they stuck on? It, so she really uses data 
to help all kids, but especially kids who are, when you identify the kids who have ADHD, she particularly clues into those kids and wants to make sure, and she'll reach out to parents and say to them, mm-hmm. you know, just to let you know, Johnny did this on his Quizlet or whatever, and I, he spent X amount of minutes on Moodle. Go figure, right? Can you just monitor that a little bit more when he gets home? Yeah, and one of the one of the benefits there is that we so often in the ADHD circles that I travel in, very often parents will talk about how their their kids spend like 45 minutes on homework, an hour and a half on homework, and the teachers don't know. So they're not aware of the fact that this homework assignment that they thought was going to be 15 minutes wound up being 45 minutes. But Danielle can tell because she's got that right. that data collection activity happening. Right. And so she can then take that information and can tailor her, that particular assignment. Like when she gets that information, wow, people spend on average 47 minutes. That wasn't my intent. I need to relook at this activity that I had the kids do online at night and maybe do something a little bit different. Now, what sort of supports are you putting in for your teachers around that technology side of things, around Google? Uh, Using the teacher quality grant, we have a tech committee that we pay stipends for, and we have a group of people who are really tech savvy that will bring something to the table during faculty meetings and just kind of show them. But we do try every year to spend at least one PD day mm-hmm. doing a, like a carousel of technology and then giving people time to work with that technology. So for instance, our next PD day coming up, we, are, we have a, a tech slam and we have different options for people to go to to learn about and then we have time allotted so that we have a sheet here you go go play tic-tac-toe or or what or bingo i think it is however we've designed the sheets where the teachers will then go and reuse some of the stuff that they've just learned because that's the thing that we also tend to mess up on is that we show them all of this technology but then, okay, it's time to go. You don't get to tinker with it or figure out how to make it work, how to incorporate it in your classroom. You sort of go over this technology stuff in a professional development day. And then when they're sort of teaching in the wild, backed into their classrooms, they have like a bingo sheet and they're using the bingo sheet to remind them that these technologies exist and to give them cause to, to go ahead and use them in the classroom. Is that sort of how it works? No, but that's a great idea, and thank you for that one. Um, Sure. Well, I was thinking of that um, for my parents who are listening and how you could set something similar up for, like, household chores or something, like play bingo to do the chores, and you got to do... Right. Same idea. Same idea, but we're doing it in the afternoon. So let's say, you know, one of the things is we have smart boards in our school, and we use them, some people use them as very nice digital whiteboards. Mm-hmm. Well, we, there's a program within the smart technology that you can actually create lessons using slides and some of their manipulatives. And so one of the challenges is create a lesson using the smart notebook. And it can be a very simplistic thing that you're going to create that you're going to use in your classroom. And um, you get the, the eye for bingo because you did one of those things that are listed under the eye. Yeah. So it sounds like I just 
thought I was stealing an idea from you and instead I gave you the same idea. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm still I'm still kind of thinking back to you having this 10-year expanse as a principal and a, and a, a bigger view. What are some of the typical challenges that you've seen ADHD students experience? Uh, and then how are you navigating those challenges with the kids? A lot of the ADHD stuff comes out in discipline, which I have to work with. And a lot of it, you know, uh, to tell you the God's honest truth, you can see it, you can feel it at the end of the day when kids are trying to pack up and just seeing kids fall apart, you know, especially in September when it's like, okay, now you have brand new teachers and brand new systems in place and you're not used to it. And all of a sudden, they're just puddles in the middle of the hallway with folders and notebooks and, and their knapsack in three different places. And they're just paralyzed because they're like, I don't know what to do. I need help. Yeah, their executive functions are tapped and they just can't make another decision or think another thing through. We see a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, especially in September. Starts to go down a little bit in October. By November, they're pretty good. And then the holidays show up and then the new year shows up and we've been away for two weeks and now it goes back up. So we're constantly working with this ebb and flow of stress and anxiety for kids, especially with the ADHD that, um, you know, we try to work with. The other thing that, you know, I just kind of mentioned is the discipline. You see the kids acting out in frustration, really. And it's really interesting as a principal because I personally have to be informed of all of the 373 kids I have. I need to know because I don't want to discipline a kid when I'm disciplining their disability. It, that, does, that's not, that doesn't make sense to me. They have a disability. They have that discipline going to be a little different than a kid who doesn't have that disability. I just had to do that yesterday where I had a kid who, because uh, I am now also a principal, because my educational path has been weird. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so I had this kid in my class who had, he had been kicked out of art because he was being disruptive. And so I have him in my office and I'm like, what's going on? And he, oh, well, I was talking when the teacher was talking and, and sort of typical stuff you'd expect from a fourth grader. And I said to him, okay, so like, what are we going to do, right? How are we going to handle this? And he was like, well, I just won't talk anymore. And then I looked at him and I went, okay, how? <laughs> and, he, and he was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, well, how are you going to do that? I mean, I don't doubt for a second that I'll send you back to class and you'll sit in art class and you won't talk for the rest of today. Right. But you're going to go back to art at some point and you're going to have forgotten that you were sitting here with me. So how are we going to keep you from talking in art class next time? And so he came up with a few ideas, one of which was to, to ask his teacher to remind him not to talk, which I thought was pretty reasonable. But we, I also talked about how my main concern was that his teacher had asked him not to three times and he just continued to do it. It's not exactly disrespectful, but it's kind of right on the line where is that the disability or is that just not caring? So I, I hear you on that not wanting discipline, the disability, and I really like that phrase, but also you have to do something. And, and you know, you can never forget you're in the people business. You're working with mm -hmm. kids and kids are imperfect and they're going to make mistakes. Like everybody makes a mistake, you know, and it's how you approach the mistake. I think is the way you get the biggest bang 
out of kids because kids who are struggling with ADHD and sometimes present as a discipline, they are going to feel like I'm just a troublemaker. And I, that just is never going to happen under my watch because you're not a troublemaker. You're just having trouble managing your behavior. And I'm just here to try to help you manage that behavior and put some systems into place and give you some helpful hints and just help you manage, you know? And I think that's where the message with parents also have to, has to happen as well is, you know, all of a sudden they get a phone call from the principal and they're like, what? And you have to just kind of walk them off the ledge because nobody wants that phone call. What are some of the ways that you approach the behavior when it, when it happens? You, you mentioned strategies. You mentioned wanting to make it clear to them that they're not a troublemaker. They just are having trouble, which is another phrase that I love. Could, do you have any examples you can give? Um, maybe a, a story or something, obviously without names, to give us an idea about what that might look like? It's all in the communication with kids. And it's all about talking it through and identifying, okay, that was my trigger. That, that's my trigger. And I need to, I'm sitting in a class and Mr. So-and-so is lecturing and asking us to take notes. I can't do that for 10 minutes. I lose my mind. And so, okay, what can we do so that you don't lose your mind? Maybe you need to put a signal into place to the teacher so that you can say, I need a quick break and I'm going to take a 30-second lap and then I'm going to come back. And hopefully you put as the teacher systems in place that they can take that 30 second break and not lose the material that they're, they're missing. Or maybe you yourself, because somebody's about to take the 30 second break, which by the way is called going to the bathroom. Just let's not fool anybody here. You know, Hey, I've got to go to the bathroom. That's just a clear signal. I just really need to take a walk because nobody goes to the bathroom every period of the day. Let's just be real clear. And so you have to put stuff like, for example, for that, you, you just have to set it up so that there's communication between the teacher and the kid so that they have something that is in place that they're all okay with doing and communicating that with the parent. You know, so-and-so is struggling in this class. When he hits this kind of, you know, activity, we're going to do this. And, and it's really, I think kids appreciate it. And I think kids are a little more open about talking about their, you know, how they're struggling when they can just walk in. I've, hopefully I've created an environment, and I think I have, where kids will just walk into my office, close the door and say, Mr. Pratt, I'm having a bad day and this is why. And this is what I need. And then, okay, if that's what you need, you know, and you need 15 minutes to just kind of like pull your head together and get your thoughts together. Sure. You know, it's great. I need to take this test and I can't find a quiet place because my thoughts are like screaming in my head. Can I work here? Can I work in the back office? Yeah, you can. That's, that's a great idea and a suggestion. And that happened because when they were losing their minds in a test environment and I got the phone call to say, hey, can you remove this kid in our conversation? It's been like, okay, listen, if there's a test and you're just feeling this way, come on down to the office and just do the test here in a nice, quiet environment because that's, I think, what you need. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's about trying to figure out what kids need. There's sort of a subtext that's happening here, but a component of, of 
what's happening or, or at least three components. One is communication, which you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. So that's not as much of a subtext, but also within what you're talking about, there's, there's a layer of understanding that you're providing to everybody mm -hmm. around expectations and meeting expectations or not meeting expectations and why that might be and sort of the forgiveness around that behavior. And then there's also this level of trust that you just bring naturally to your interactions with people. You're, you're trusting the kid to take a walk, for example. Yeah. And I, I remember when I worked with, for you that it, that was one of the hardest parts for me to wrap my head around because I had had several bosses in a row where they said they trusted people and then they didn't actually trust people. And I kept getting burned by it. <laughs> um, but with you, you trusted everybody. You were like, no, if you say you're going to do something, then you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, it's not because you're terrible. It's because something went wrong. And how can I help you make sure that doesn't go wrong again? Right. And that is, that's incredible. That's, I mean, that's huge. And it's, it's something I bring to the table as well. And I, I, at least part of that is coming from my time working with you. But also, I think it's important for parents to hear that, if we trust our kids, they're going to do the best they can. And if they right. didn't do as well as they needed to, there's probably a reason for that. And it doesn't have to be defiance. Right. And, and you know, the funny thing is I come to work knowing that I have 373 sets of parents sending their kids to me that they trust that I am the leader of the school and I'm going to do right by their kids. And to me, that says it all. Like, I'm getting these children. They're sending them to my school to work and to learn. And the, that's it. I need to make sure that they are good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and I need to make sure that the people that I entrust in the care of these students also understand I trust them that they're going to do the right thing. And if they don't do the right thing, you know, we have conversations. Nobody comes to school to work to do the wrong thing. Right. I mean, I've been banging that drum since I started doing this ADHD work, right? Is everyone's trying the best they can and everyone has good intentions. And let's start there. Yeah. Let's make that our baseline assumption. And every now and then, like, okay, so you don't actually have good intentions. You're not actually trying your best. But that's rare. More often than not, it's I can't execute on the thing that I'm trying to execute on for a reason that is valid. But if we don't look for that reason, we're not going to find it. Yeah. And, and you know, building partnerships with parents is, is really important. And, you know, really trying to have a strong partnership with the message of we're in this together. And, you know, Johnny didn't come into this world with the manual that we could all flip to page six and figure <laughs> out, okay, when he does this, this is what we need to do. So, I'm going to be in constant communication with you as we go through this experience together to say, hey, here's what happened, and this was a great experience, and guess what? This, this worked, mm -hmm. FYI. Or when I struggle, I call and say, hey, I'm struggling. What do you have up your sleeve? Because I'm kind of out right now. And it's very interesting to have parents partner with you because we're all in the same canoe, as I like to say. <laughs> and it's really important that we're all paddling in the same direction. We don't get anywhere where we paddle in opposite directions. Right. And so for the parents listening who are working with a principal who is not as proactive as you are and maybe doesn't have that, that same 
default of we're all on the same team and we're all, and thank you for entrusting me with your kids. How could they help to get that principle on board? Are there any strategies that, that parents have used that with you that have worked or that you've heard just sort of in your travels? One of the greatest meetings I've ever had was with a fifth grade parent who called me up and said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you right now. Um, this is really important to me. And it was during the summertime and I'm, I'm, I'm in Cape mode. I'm like, I work three days a week. It's Thursday. You're calling at one thirty. I want to get over the bridge by three o'clock. Okay. I guess. Come on in. I'll talk to you. Uh, I don't know you at all. And you seem like you're anxious. And I guess now is a good time. So she came in and it was really, really funny in an oddball sense where she recognized, listen, I know you're busy. I know you're important, but I need for you to know that my son is a relationship kid. And if you don't build a relationship with him starting day one, then you're going to have three years of a struggle. Mm -hmm. which was really, really great. And so I said, okay, well, let's start building that relationship. Can you bring him in on Tuesday? I'd like to show him his schedule. I'd like to bring him to his locker. I want to like show him how to open up his locker and let's kind of have a little chat, you know, and take five minutes to make connection. And I got to tell you that five minutes of connection has really saved me so far two years, knock on wood, of not struggling with this kid because he is, you know, my grandmother would say he's got ants in his pants. Well, yeah, he's an ADHD kid, but you've got to build a relationship so that they feel, you know, yeah, I'm making a mistake, but it's, it's, I'm just making them. I'm sorry. I I help and and throw me, you know, throw me the lifesaver, Mr. Goya. And that's what you do. That's huge. One of the areas that ADHD adults, kids in general can struggle with is the importance of those relationships and also their tendency to feel rejection more potently than people who don't have ADHD. So, and that's where sort of like the, like the STEM stuff that we talked about earlier, how it wasn't graded. So that helped some kids shine who might not have otherwise shined. Some of that judgment that comes even just with grading can feel like rejection for kids with ADHD. And then they're over-responding to that emotionally and potentially behaviorally as well. That immediate connection and that mom was on point with her request. Oh yeah. That's one of the things I find most you know, rewarding is when I, have, when I get my roster of kids and I go through my IEPs so I know how to like which kids and I spend some of the summer looking at the yearbook photos and trying to make sure I know who my kids are and looking through, you know, the, the data management system that we use and pull up my fifth graders going to be sixth graders. So I have an idea of who they are. It's really important to know and, and build that relationship and have prior conversations. I got to tell you, having meetings with the fifth grade principal and the fifth grade, you know, guidance counselor about the upcoming sixth graders and putting you know, names and faces and, and bringing the kids over to meet us is really, really important. And, and that's, that really starts now. January, February is when I start seeing kids come over because they're going to be anxious and they need to start getting familiar with the building and familiar with where the rooms are. And that helps with their stress 
level as well, knowing and introducing yourself to them and seeing them a couple times, you need to do that kind of work in order to have a successful year with kids, I think. Yeah, that that's awesome. But as a parent, you need to make sure that that kind of happens. That, you know, don't just push the kid off the bus in sixth grade and say, go, good luck. You know, you want to have an idea of and meet the teachers. Really important. When we start in September, we have lots of parent meetings because we're, you know, talking about kids who struggle and, and need that personal conversation to have happen. But those conversations can happen at the end of the year to the next year. I'm sure there's parents listening who are not aware that they could be helping their kid transition from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school too, potentially Mm -hmm. by doing some work in advance before the year has started. They can do it in January, February, March. Thank you for, for reminding us of that. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience? I really think that introducing yourself and being proactive with the administration and the teachers and the guidance counselors really helps set up kids for the following year. In sixth grade, they're going to transition to seventh grade. Meet the seventh grade team before so you can start that up. And also, you know, reach out. My job is, is very complex in the way it is, but, you know, I really appreciate not having to figure kids out and having parents come and, and give me a few of those missing pages in the manual of their kids so that I know what kind of things work before I have to start working with them. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.